just I, I want to give you a, a little brief to set the stage for the scripture we're about to read. Um, if you've been here the past few weeks, you know. If not, this will kind of catch you up. We've been reading through Acts, and, uh, and two weeks ago we talked about Peter and John healing the lame man that sat outside the gate of the temple. And then last week, Scripture followed right up with that. Right after that healing took place, Peter, uh, the, the crowd gathered around and wanted to know about this power that Peter and John had. And Peter used the opportunity to preach a sermon and to lead uh, more people into the faith. So Acts, you know, we're at the point in, in Acts where it's an ongoing story. We're working through the book. So I wanted to sort of set that for you before we do the scripture reading today, just so you know that it is right after Peter has spoken these words that, that today's uh, passage uh, takes place. But uh, first, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to read your word to learn from it, to grow from it. We ask that at this moment you open our hearts, you direct our thoughts and our attention to what your word has to say, and that as the word is read, you will bless the reading of it. As it is heard, you will bless the hearing of it. And that by the power of your spirit, it will be more than just spoken or written words. It will be something much deeper, a deep truth that makes its way into our heart and transforms us individually and as a church. Bless this time that we have now in your holy presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture this morning comes from the fourth chapter of Acts, verses 1 through 4 and verses 13 through 31. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And then when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? 
The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Three different times this week, different places with different people, I've had conversations with someone who told me that their church was either in steep decline or was simply dying. Three different times, three different people, lamenting the death of the church. I also came across an article in a Christian magazine this week about why millennials are leaving the church, why the younger generation is not wanting to have anything to do with the church. And one of the things that it said was the younger generation perceive it as inauthentic, that the people who are in the church, uh, mostly of the older generation, what they say, what they preach doesn't match what they practice. And so they don't find any truth there. They don't find any relevance in it. That's disturbing. When you look at the decline of the church in America right now, you have to wonder, what are we doing wrong? When you look at the decline of small churches and small towns like this all across America, you have to wonder, what is going on? Why why is the Holy Spirit not moving through this church the way it did in Acts? What are we doing wrong? How are we failing as a church? And that's why it's important for us to return again to the book of Acts, where we see examples of the Holy Spirit being poured out and people's lives being transformed. And over and over again through the book of Acts, we see it saying that more were added to their number. Thousands were coming to them every day. But that's not the case with us. So what are we doing wrong? That's what we hope to uncover with this study. That's why we're looking at this, at this book of Acts as a template for how the church should be the church. When we read this passage, if you'll notice several times in it is the word bold or boldness. It says that Peter and John were bold in their speech. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, the church leaders, they were, they were impressed, or the temple leaders were impressed with uh, Peter and John's boldness. And then when they returned, after they were released, it says that the other followers prayed for boldness. And then after they prayed, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and then they went out and they spoke with boldness. Repeatedly, we're hearing about the boldness of the early church. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Now I have kind of a funny story, uh, I guess a little bittersweet uh, story to, uh, that goes with that verse. When I was in the third grade, um, 
I won the spelling bee in my class. It was a, a Christian school, and, and they had worked with these other schools, um, Christian schools, private schools in the area, to do the citywide spelling bee, where the top person from each class went and, and represented their school at the spelling bee. And, uh, and so I was nine years old, and I had just won for my class, so I was the representative sent to the city uh, spelling bee championship, or whatever they called it. And uh, I remember that morning, my dad giving me that verse from Proverbs and telling me, uh, just remember, don't be nervous, don't be scared up there. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And I said it over and over again to myself all morning. The righteous are bold as a lion. The righteous are bold as a lion. And I went up there, and there were about 20 or 30 other kids there in our group, uh, and, and we had to get up one by one and spell these words. And, uh, and I kept thinking, the righteous are bold as a lion. And I got up there, bold as a lion, over and over again, spelling the word correctly. Uh, and it got down from where there were about, I guess maybe 25 of us to start with. It got down to, to there were only three of us left. And I got up there, and they said, spell righteous. <laughs> and I couldn't do it. Maybe if I'd been writing that verse down all day, I, that would have helped me. But, but that's, that's where I fell out, was over that word. But the, the, the verse remains true. The righteous are bold as a lion. What does it mean to be bold as a lion? If you think about a lion, a lion is a, a majestic creature, but it's also very elegant, isn't it? There's a certain grace about the way it carries itself, about the way it walks. It walks with a gentle boldness. We have the, the, the phrase, the term that we use, quiet confidence. That could be used to describe a lion. It, it knows what it's capable of. It could take anybody or anything out with one swipe. Its claws and its teeth could tear anything from limb to limb, but yet it doesn't go around growling and screaming and picking fights. It carries itself with confidence, with gentle boldness. And that's how the church should carry itself. We have the power of God at, 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 on hand, at our disposal. We have access to the power of God, yet we don't flaunt it. We don't ferociously go out there growling it at other people. Instead, we walk with a gentle confidence, a gentle boldness, bold as a lion, or at least we should. That's what the early church was praying for. That's what Peter and John were exhibiting when they, they spoke with the, the Pharisees. They weren't instigating. They weren't starting arguments. They had the boldness of a lion. And their followers, the, Christ, the early church, Christ's followers, were praying for that same type of confidence. Unfortunately, today, that type of boldness in the church is lacking. Either we're too fierce... We, we are out there growling and not displaying true confidence, the gentle boldness that we need to, or we are just completely complacent. And we can become complacent because we're tired, because we're lazy, or because we've been too influenced by the culture around us. But our prayer must be like the early church, that God would make us bold. We pray for boldness, or at least we should. But how does God make us bold? That's what we're going to talk about today. If you look back in time, you can always see where things shifted, even if you weren't aware of it at the time. 
You can do this with history. You can look at how history turned and changed. You can look at our culture, how it has changed and and evolved. And and you can point back in retrospect and say, I see where those things were starting to shift, where things were starting to change. But we can do that in our own lives too. We can look back maybe at a time, if, if, if we're not bold about things now, or maybe we're less bold than we once were, maybe we can look back and see where that shift started to occur where that change started to take place. There's always a shift. When we were in the ocean earlier this week, I was standing out there with Liam, and we were body surfing. We would catch, we would wait for the perfect wave and then catch it and ride it to the shore. But I was, I was telling him, if you stand out there, you feel the rhythm of the water, the movement of it. And the water is pulling you towards the shore as the tide is coming in. But after so many repetitions of that, if you're patient, if you wait, you'll notice that the water starts to pull back the other direction up under you. It's called the undercurrent or the undertow. And when you feel that sort of vacuum, that shift, then you know it's time to jump on the next wave. But you have to be able to spot the shift when things start to turn, when things start to change. But can we do that in our lives? Are we able to spot when things have started to shift, maybe even in our own hearts? Maybe we're going in one direction. We're convicted of one thing and we're we're flowing, we're moving with the Holy Spirit one direction and then there might be a shift. Can you spot it? Do you know where it happened? Do you know where it occurred? It happens with everyone who loses their convictions at some point. I'll give you a couple of examples. Jason was a 14-year-old boy who found a magazine with inappropriate stuff in it, stuff that he knew he shouldn't be looking at. He saw it on the sidewalk. He had been taught by his parents to always be careful what you set before your eyes, always be careful about what you think about. God sees all, God knows all that, and, 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 and you want to honor him with what you put before you. And Jason heard the voice of his parents. He felt the conviction from God, and he was sensitized to that. So in that moment when he found that magazine, he got rid of it. A year goes by. Jason's friends had similar experiences. They weren't as bold as he was. They weren't as obedient as he was. It becomes a more casual thing to talk about. And one day, he's 15 years old, and he's at a friend's party, and they put on an inappropriate movie. And all the boys are excited about it and wanting to watch it. And Jason, in that moment, does so too. Why? What happened? What changed? Over the course of the year, he slowly became desensitized to it. The conviction that he once had, the thing that he was brought up with, was replaced by what he was surrounded by. And so his heart changed, his ideals changed, his morals changed. I'll give you another example. Alex is a a 34-year-old father of two small children in a state where the lottery was recently legalized. And Alan decided that he was not going to participate in the lottery, that he he felt like it was a waste of money, it it could lead to gambling addiction, and that it exploited people who, uh, who were impoverished that might be sinking their money into it and becoming more impoverished doing so. So he had this conviction that he wasn't going to participate in that. 
And he said, I, I, could, I could be robbing my children and my wife of money that I need to support them. Well, time went on and more and more people started playing it. It became more socially acceptable. People in his workplace started playing the lottery. People in the Sunday school class even started playing it. And then one day the jackpot got up so big that he was asked at work, would you like to throw in with us on this lottery ticket? And he says, sure. What changed? Now, don't get me wrong, this isn't a sermon about the lottery, whether it's right or wrong. What I'm talking about is somebody who had a conviction in their heart. They felt a certain way because they felt like that's what God was leading. But something happened to change it. What happened was he was exposed to the people around him who felt differently, and he was influenced by that. There was a shift. There was a turning. Maybe he didn't even notice it. But it happens with all of us. You see, going with the flow can be a good thing as long as we're going with the flow of the Holy Spirit. Go where God leads you. Let let the Spirit be your God. All of that. But the thing is, sometimes we go off the current because there's another flow. There's another current. And it's that of the culture that surrounds us. When you are, are in a canoe paddling down a stream... Oftentimes, all you have to do is just ride the current, right? It will take you to your destination if, if you just point it straight, if you just go straight. But then there are times where another stream might shoot off to the side. And if you're not careful, you can be pulled there and you're going to end up going off course. Well, if, if you notice that, as soon as you notice the pull, all you have to do is gently Place your paddling. Gentle boldness. And it will correct the course and you'll get back on the right stream. But if you allow yourself to be pulled in the wrong direction for too too long, for too far, then you have to forcefully put that paddle in and you you have to work harder to get back on the right course. And so that's what happens with us when we are pulled in two different directions. This the secular culture, the popular culture, and then our own convictions. And we lose our convictions when we lose our boldness. You see, we're all in danger of shifting between one and the other, tossed about like a wave. James, in his epistle, says that one who is tossed about like a wave, what, what, what causes that? What is that from? It's, it's caused by a lack of faith. That's what James says. One who, who has weak faith gets tossed about like a wave of the sea, to and fro. And when we talk about boldness, the word itself means confidence. And confidence is what? Faith. Hebrews says, faith is the confidence in what we hope for. So when we talk about the Lord increasing our boldness, we are talking about confidence, we are talking about faith, we are talking about something that can anchor us. We are talking about putting our paddle down so that we stay in the correct stream, the correct current, and we don't get tossed about by the fickle streams that cross paths with us. And if you want to know how fickle the secular culture can be, let me give you an example. There was uh, the, um, a, a few years ago, Apple, computers, iPhone, iPad, all that, it was a really popular thing among young people to embrace all things Apple. About 10 years ago, the youth culture was just, Apple could do no wrong. They would come out with something that nobody even understood, 
and you would hear 20-year-olds, 25-year-olds saying, oh, it's, I don't get it, but it's great. You know, Apple, a- Apple can do no wrong. It was almost like a cult. But today it's the opposite. It's almost become fashionable to, to bash Apple anytime they release something else. Then it's, well, I'm, I'm, Apple's lost it. They don't know what they're doing. And that's how our culture goes. It goes one way and then it swings the other. All you have to do is look at fashion, look at trends, and you see how people go one direction, and then 10 years later they've completely changed their mind and they go another. And if we follow the whims of the culture, that's where we're going to be with, with everything, including our morals. But if we are bold, if our paddle is fixed in the correct current, then we will be where we need to be. We're talking about the youth, the young people, and, and Apple and all that. It reminds me of a song. Uh, it's not by a Christian group. It's a secular group, but it's still prophetic. Uh, they have a song that says, The youth are starting to change. Are you starting to change? And that can be interpreted one of two ways. You can say that the youth sort of lead where the culture is going. Are we following that? Or you could hear that same line and you could say, If the youth are starting to change and it's not for the better, is it because we did something to change to cause that? Maybe we lost our boldness, we lost our convictions, and it created this chain reaction where they broke off from what we knew and believed to be right, and they want no part of it. Maybe that's what's at the heart of the crisis in the church today. When the disciples and the early, the early church, the followers of Jesus, prayed for boldness, they were talking about uh, the boldness to proclaim, right? John and Peter stood up and they were able to proclaim their convictions because that's where their boldness came from. And when the other uh, followers saw this, they prayed for boldness. And proclamation is important. That's what we need right now. We need evangelism. We need proclamation. But it, has, it can't be just a loud, obnoxious ranting about how the world is screwed up and how we need to straighten everything up. We, it has to be from the heart. It has to be rooted in our bold convictions. Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke that the good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good. The evil person produces evil, for it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. To put it another way, Paul said, I can speak with eloquence, I can speak the right words, I can say all the right things, but if I don't do it with love, I'm a clanging symbol. In other words, it's not enough for us to proclaim. It's not enough for us to talk about Jesus, or talk about the church, or talk about how the world needs God We have to have our own convictions. They have to be real to us. They have to be rooted in our heart. We have to know where we stand. And they can't be deterred by the culture. Because it's from that, from that solid ground, that we speak the truth. And the truth is real. It's relevant. It's authentic. It's not just lip service. Psalms 141 has a passage in it that says, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep a watch over my lips. Do not turn my heart to any evil. To busy myself with wicked deeds in the company of wicked people. In that that passage, you have the lips, the mouth, the proclamation. You have the condition of the heart. And you have 
the deeds of what we do and the people around us all tied together. Because they're one and the same. I did a funeral yesterday for Jody Clements. And her, her, uh, her daughter told me before the service, I never knew how close my mother was to Jesus until the last few years. And I said, what was it about those last few years that, that showed you? And she, she said two things. She said, first of all, she was very involved in philanthropic ventures. That was her way of acting out her faith. But also, and just as importantly, that's all she wanted to talk about. She wanted to talk about Jesus and about God and about heaven. You see, it wasn't just a lip service thing. It wasn't just a proclamation for the sake of proclamation. There was something taking place in her heart, and out of her heart flowed proclamation. The type of proclamation that was authentic and changed people and inspired people. Boldness in our speech always begins with boldness of the heart. And that's why the early church knew that they had to pray for it. They weren't just asking for boldness of speech. They were asking for a boldness of something much deeper. And that would shape their speech. Faith follows the heart. Remember, faith is the confidence in what we hope for. What we hope for is what is in our heart. And when we ask for boldness, we are asking for the faith, the confidence, the boldness to follow what is in our heart. The world needs proclamation now more than ever. The world needs evangelism. But they don't need obnoxious ranting about how lost they are and how found we are. That will never influence or change anyone. What they need is to be able to witness a gentle boldness. They need to be able to witness a confidence that is rooted in love and in conviction. They need to witness our faith They need to see us take root, to take anchor, even as the waters around us are shifting. They need to see our paddle placed firmly in the midst of the current, even as the popular culture around us changes. If we're to be the church that God needs us to be, if we're to be the people that God needs for us to be, we must pray that He makes us bold like a lion. We don't need to pray for more words, for eloquent words, or even necessarily the right words. What we need to pray for is a deep confidence, a faith and a stabilized heart. And out of that type of heart, our faith will follow. Out of that type of heart, the mouth will follow and our words will follow. Let us pray. Lord, there have been so many times where we have kept silent when we needed to make a declaration or a proclamation. There have been so many times that we let our insecurities or our fears get in the way of being bold and saying what it is you need us to say. But Lord, even in the times that we have proclaimed, even in the times when we have been bold with our words, we confess to you that we have not been bold with our hearts first. So today, Lord, we pray for that. 
We pray that you make us bold at heart, that you, you root our convictions in what your spirit has to say to us, where your spirit leads us, and not where the culture and the world around us leads us. Help us to find our anchor in you. Let that boldness, let that confidence, that faith be stabilized in our hearts so that our actions, our words will follow and be real to a world who needs to see real and authentic faith once again. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 117 in, in our United Methodist hymnal, O God, Our Help in Ages Past. If you've made a decision of any type this morning, I invite you and encourage you to come forward as we sing. And, and as always, the altar is open for anyone who wishes to come up here and spend a few moments in prayer. But please stand if you are able and join us in singing hymn number 117. We're going to sing the first, the second, the fifth, and the sixth verse.